the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, AM 1220 KNEW presents... New Focus on Wealth with certified financial planner Chad Burton, drawing from his 20-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New Focus on Wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome into the show. I am your host, Chad Burton, certified financial planner. If you have a money question for the show, I love your emails. I'm going to go over a couple of today. You have questions on taxes, insurance, retirement planning, estate planning, investing. It's all fair game. Just shoot me an email, chad at chadburton.com. That's chad at chadburton.com. If I don't know the answer, I've got a team here at EP Wealth. There's over 50 certified financial planner practitioners. We got attorneys, tax people. We've got it all here. So check it out. Just go to chadburton.com. This first one is from Alyssa. And she said, Hey, Chad. What do you think of the die broke philosophy based on the book by Stephen M. Pullen? The idea is to not worry about leaving an inheritance and fully enjoy your money now and give while you're alive. Maybe you can share your thoughts on the show. Love your show. Thanks, Alyssa. Um, I, ha- I, I want to say that I haven't read the book. There's so many financial books out there. Um, I've you know even been asked to write it myself, but I feel like there's already a lot of books out there, and I have limited time with business and kids and everything else. So I haven't read the book. I just kind of went through some of the bullet points that I found. It's got you know somewhat decent reviews on it. Um, but those of you that have been listening for a long time, you might have heard the Chad Burton retirement plan: bounce the last check you write the day you die. I used to say that quite a bit, but now I probably could count on. You know, all all ten of my fingers, the number of checks I actually write every year. It's probably more than ten, but most stuff is done online and digitally. So the idea of checks bouncing <laughs> these days is kind of funny, right? You don't write a lot of checks. I think it's when my kids go to school and I have to pay for stuff at their high school. That's when I feel like I have to write checks. Anyway, that idea was like you know, save enough but enjoy life. Enjoy life because. A couple of things. People that die with a lot of assets and they don't teach the next generation about money, that next generation can be ruined. I've seen it over and over again. That's why you kind of hear these terms that businesses last maybe three to four generations because by the time the fourth one gets it, they didn't know how to build it. They didn't know how to manage it. And they're just kind of spending it and driving it into the ground. And the other thing with the idea of don't die with a lot of assets is because you know we're talking a lot about it with estate planning right now. Right now, a lot of people are rushing to create certain types of trusts so that they can bring their estate down in terms of estate taxation. So right now, you have the ability to pass on a little over 
11 point, about 11.8 million or so onto your heirs while you're alive or you die without any estate tax. Anything over that, there's a 40% tax rate, success tax. And if you think about it, your IRAs haven't been taxed yet either. So you could kind of tack that on and realize that there could be a large tax due when you pass away with a lot of money. So enjoy the money. And also the idea that you die with a lot of assets and then people get it. Well, how do you know how they're going to act? I always encourage clients that are going to be leaving a lot of money to their kids or grandkids is to try to do some gifting while you're alive. See how they deal with money. One of the things we often do for clients, kids, and grandkids is we'll set up a brokerage account for a son or a daughter and gift certain stocks or mutual funds or ETFs into that brokerage account. Because if somebody, if you have a taxable account, a joint account with your spouse or a trust account with your spouse, you can open up a brokerage account for your son or daughter. As long as they're over 18, you can transfer those shares of stocks or mutual funds or ETFs into that brokerage account up to $15,000 per person. So as a married couple, you could give them 30 grand worth of stocks, mutual funds, ETFs. And now they will take over your cost basis. So if they sell, they could end up paying the taxes if you have a gain on it. But then you can see how they act with the money. Do they, does it, is it gets cashed in and they go buy a new car? Do they continue to add to it? Do they continue to reinvest their dividends and watch the account grow? Um, maybe they talk to you about, hey, well, I really want to buy a rental property or a home. So can I sell it and, and keep it invested? Do they just sell it and spend it? So you can kind of get an idea of how people use money while you're alive. We'll talk a little bit about that later in the show. But here's what it uh, looks like on Amazon when I read about this book, Die Broke. A spectacular national bestseller, Die Broke has changed the way millions of people think about their money. Controversial and revolutionary. The book redesigns personal finance strategy, urging readers to spend money while they're alive. Consider themselves first in the workplace and pick a new career after retiring. And so again, I haven't read the book, but other bullet points on it. Uh, they have quit today. No, don't tell your boss to shove it. At least not out loud, but in your head, accept that from this day on, you're a free agent whose number one workplace priority is your personal bottom line. Now, let me say about what I agree about this is, is we, you know, dealing with people all the time, you know, people ask me about money. And I'll run to somebody and friends, family, and they'll ask, their, they'll ask for help creating a budget because they're just not making enough money to make ends meet. And I'm not a budget guy. I mean, I'm not... If, you, if you're having problems spending too much money, the whole idea of a, you know, only spend cash in an envelope, Dave Ramsey type of a situation, that's not what I do. You know, I deal with retirement plans and estate planning and things like that. So I'm not the best guy to help create a spreadsheet and a budget and tell you how to stick to it. That's, that's just not what I do. But the first thing when I go just basic questions for somebody like that, because most of that is you, you just have to do it on your own. You have to create the spreadsheet. You have to realize what you're spending. You have to track your spending. Somebody can't tell you what to spend stuff on and whatnot. It, it, it just, I don't like that type of planning. What I will say is like, okay, what's your plan to make more money so you're not in this situation? What's your plan to re-educate yourself to get into a better career? Find something that you're supposed to be good at. 
And you know, people, you talk to them all the time, like you're, you know, this person should be in sales. They know everybody. They can talk to everybody. They can build relationships with anybody they talk to. They should be in sales and something. And yet their job isn't in sales and they're not making much money. So you see what I'm saying? You got to invest in yourself first. People will come to me and ask about budgets and the next best investment and whether or not they should invest in you know, cryptocurrency or IPOs, but they don't invest in themselves and how to make more money. And the idea of this too is you know, try to create a business. Try to create a business where you can step away from it and it still runs itself because you've done such a good job setting it up. They don't need you anymore. And you can kick back and create some profit. So that's what I'm getting the gist of out of this one bullet point quit today. So it's not quit and just spend all your money and then die. It's focus on how you can make more money and make sure that your job is paying for paying you for what you deserve. Pay cash is another one. You should be as conscious of spending as you are of savings. Credit should be a really used tool for those few times like buying homes and cars when paying cash is impossible. Now, I don't know about that because carrying cash, I mean, I hardly ever carry cash. Um, it's easier for me to track my spending using credit and debit cards. And I had to, I actually had to start using credit cards to build credit because I wasn't using credit at all. And then the other ones that we're going to talk about here after the break is, is don't retire in the sense of what you think about retirement. That's what this book says. Your work life should be a journey up and down hills. So that's kind of interesting. So we'll take a look at that. And then dying broke. What does that mean? Does, does that mean you're going to spend every money or every cent, every dollar, every bit of your money? Or are you going to leave it all to charity? What does that actually mean? And it does bring up some good topics though in terms of how you think about money. And even myself, I've changed in the last like five years. If you want to shoot me an email, find me and my team. Just go to chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com. We're going over a question I had from a listener regarding a book called Die Broke. The Die Broke Philosophy. And again, I haven't read it, but it just brings up some interesting points because one of the points that they have in this book when I was trying to read the reviews and learn about it, see if I even wanted to read it or listen to the audio book. Um, That's when I tend to listen to my podcasts and books is when I'm working out. I don't listen to like music that jacks me up because I'm only, as a person, I'm already jacked up. But that's when I like to learn and focus on books and things like that. Uh, though I will tell you, since I deal with money constantly, most of the podcasts and books that I listen to have to do with with fitness and you know, just other issues. Like I'm re- uh, doing an audio book right now called Healing Back Pain, which really has to do with, is it really your mental issues, <laughs> your past traumas that cause a lot of chronic pain, like back pain and things like that. It's very, very interesting. But in this book, Die Broke, they talk about don't retire. And a lot of what that is, is that there's a lot of people that retire and they're not happy. I can tell you that right now. They're not happy because they didn't think about it. They didn't think about what they're going to do. They didn't think about focusing on their health and fitness and eating prior to retirement and then really focus on going into retirement. They didn't have a plan for giving back in terms of volunteering time uh, spending time, what your hobbies are. I've seen, I've been doing this for 28 years, and I've seen a lot of people that retire and then sit around and watch TV and get fat. And, and they're just really not that happy. And then they kind of get into that groove. And then when 
opportunities come, they just kind of turn into homebodies and I don't know, it's just, that is not how I want to have people live in retirement. And it's not how I want to live in retirement. I, I'm, I want to be a little bit more like my grandfather, my grandfather who got me into this business. He, you know, in some sense where form worked and almost until he passed away, he was always somewhat involved. And his clients became his friends. And so his meetings were kind of his social life at the same time. And so, you know, he, he also was a part of the Elks Club. He was part of a couple of different clubs. And clubs have kind of died these days. Um, uh, not Shriners, but the Lions Club. So, like, you know, he, he would do a lot of work with community and Lions Club. But he was a very social person. Very, very social. And I might seem very, very social because I do radios and large events and stuff like that. But my time typically spent with my kids or surfing or wake surfing, snowboarding, kind of just moving, right? And so I kind of realized as as I got into my mid-40s that, you know, my body's going to have a tough time doing what I really, 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 really love in my 60s, 70s, and 80s. And so I want to do these things right now with my kids well, they're really into traveling. They're really into snowboarding, wake surfing. So spending more money on those memories, you know, putting money in the memory bank, I guess you could say. And, and even if it delays my retirement, right? If I spend on things like cat skiing, heli skiing, boats for wake surfing and traveling to see my kids going to school in Hawaii, you know, that's, if I don't do those things, yeah, I could retire when I'm 55. But what am I going to do? If I don't have enough money to continue to do all those things, and I get to my 70s and I can't physically do a lot of those things, but mentally I'm fine, I would rather work a little longer because I really love what I do and I built a business around it. So you, you, you might need to change your idea of what retirement is. And that's why this book, it says, your work life should be a journey up and down hills rather than a climb up a sheer cliff that ends with a jump into the abyss. Some of the happiest people I know are the people that still keep their hand in the pot. <laughs> they might have sold a company and got a large windfall and they were able to retire, but they still sit on several different boards for other startups or other publicly traded companies for that matter. And then a lot of those people also are very involved with philanthropy. And it's like the more money they give, the more money they seem to make. <laughs> they, I mean, I see this all the time. They give a ton of money either through donating up to 100 grand of their IRA after age 70 and a half or family foundations or charitable remainder trusts. And then as they're sitting on these boards and investing in different startups, they, you know, one of them, one out of 10 might hit really big and they just seem to replace everything that they give. And so some of those people that are the happiest that I see in retirement focus on health and fitness first thing in the morning. They have some sort of spirituality that they focus on as well. They do a lot with family and grandkids. They stay socially connected and they still have a hand in the pot in terms of what they used to do. Or they have a full new career. Like I've had uh, I had an HP engineer, somebody that was pretty high up in HP, went into an early retirement and decided to teach math for 10 years until he really, I mean, until he just was like, okay, I'm not, in, I, mean, I don't hate it, but I'm not enjoying it quite as much. And then COVID was kind of like, okay, this is done. I'm, I'm not going to teach this stuff via Zoom. And just finished up his second 
career, essentially, that he didn't really need to do, but he loved it. He loved teaching kids about the magic of math. And that's kind of how I want you to focus on retirement. So I, I like that aspect if the book kind of takes that angle. The other one, die broke, is you can you know take it for what it means. It's not really dying broke. So you've all of a sudden you spent all your money because you thought you were only going to live till age 86 and now you have nothing left. And like Rob Black says, you're eating beanie weenies and cat food to survive. That's that's not what we're talking about here. The idea is that, you know, take a very conservative rate of return. And again, I haven't read the book, but this is how I'm interpreting it. Take a very conservative rate of return on your investments. Model in things like healthcare costs, potential nursing home costs. Model in a very uh, uh, you know, decent rate of inflation that you might have. And plan to spend the money. Enjoy the money. And give also while you're alive to see how your money can help your family you know, maybe build more wealth, maybe help kids get homes and rental properties and things like that. Give to your favorite church or charity so you can see how they deal with the money while you're alive. So you know how much you really want to give them after you pass away. There's a lot of business owners, whether it's Warren Buffett or Bill Gates that want to give very limited amounts to their kids. And they've very they've, they've been very clear about it. So that those kids go build their own dynasty, their own achievements on their own. There's nothing more you know, sad to see than a kid that inherits a lot of money. They lose their ambition. They, and they inherit a lot of money and they think it's enough to get to them till age 100. And it's really not because then they overspend. And they spend more time showing people what they're worth versus trying to build more worth and, and do good with it. So the idea of dying broke is, you know, taking too much with you, you can run into those estate tax issues that we deal with in this country, which is a little bit silly, but it's a success tax where the government will take your wealth and it's not a redistribution because it's not like it goes to the poor, or helps homeless people. You know, it, it ends up in Afghanistan and Iraq and places like that. It's not a good deal. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcases always packed pass or the wait. I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. The will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirado Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiradopass.com. The idea of, of dying with too much money um, again, right now, as we sit here, each person has the ability to give about 11.7 million onto their heirs without any state taxes. And you can actually gift that away while you're alive. That's why a lot of people are, they're very wealthy or rushing to set up trust before the law changes because the proposed law reduces that amount to $6 million. And then if you have a taxable estate where let's say the law changes and it's over $6 million, you, know, you get pretty quickly up to a 40% estate tax bracket. At a million dollars and above, it could be 40% of anything over $7 million would go to the government per person. Now, when you're married, there's the, the estate tax doesn't happen at the first death. It's usually at the second death. And there's all sorts of things that you can do to make sure the first person that passes away gets their amount of $6 million protected. But... That that's just crazy. I mean, the if you think about how it works, if you're super wealthy and you have an IRA, 
plus you're paying estate taxes. Theoretically, your your heirs could end up, or your estate could end up paying a forty percent estate tax, and then your heirs can end up will end up paying income tax on your IRAs. Now there is a income with respect to a decedent. I'm not going to get too much into that, but for those CPAs that are listening to the show, yeah, I, I know about that. There's a little bit of credit if that happens. But it's it's pretty onerous. So dying with a lot of money could end up giving too much money to the government. And one of the easiest ways to do to to reduce the estate tax is to give while you're alive. Now, giving while you're alive, there's a couple ways to do it. You can give fifteen thousand dollars to any one person that you want without doing any gift tax return or anything else. So that means a married couple can give $30,000 to each of their children, each of their grandchildren, anybody they want to without filing a gift tax return. Um, Anything over that, then they start filing a gift tax return. But again, a gift tax return doesn't mean you pay taxes. It just means it's tracking how much of your lifetime credit you've used up? How much of the amount that the government allows you to pass on when you die, how much of that have you used up? Right? So um, you don't pay a gift tax until you use it all up. And then if you start giving big amounts, then you start paying gift taxes. I hope that makes sense. It's a little bit of tricky, but um, giving while you're alive, again, you can give cash, you can give shares of stock and things like that. In fact, Jamie had a question for me. Chad, if I give $15,000 of appreciated stock to a relative who makes less than $40,000 a year, are they able to sell it without paying capital gains? Thanks, Jamie. Okay. I'm going to get into that situation in a moment, Jamie, because there are two different brackets. There's an income tax bracket and a capital gains bracket. And your income tax, your regular income bracket can push your capital gains up into higher brackets. We'll get into that later, but... Again, I want to talk about how you gift while you're alive to see how people deal with it. First of all, I will point out to people that have taxable accounts that have really low cost basis stock, if they're constantly giving to specific charities and churches, stop giving cash, give appreciated stock. We do this all the time, especially around this time of year where somebody wants to give money to charity. And so they say, okay, I want to give $10,000 to a certain charity. And so we'll pick a stock that we already have too much of or really low cost basis, or we think we're going to trim anyways, or a mutual fund or ETF out of their taxable account. We'll get a hold of the charity, find out what their brokerage account information is, and we will send shares electronically to that favorite charity. And the person is able to still do a tax deduction on their itemized deductions on their tax return. But they get rid of a stock that if they sell it, they pay capital gains. So they get rid of the stock and they complete the gift. And when the charity receives the stock, they can sell it without paying any taxes. If you give a stock ETF mutual fund to you know, a child or a grandchild, you can do that. You just open up a brokerage account in their name and you gift it over. They retain your cost basis. So if you bought Apple... Uh, you know, for 10 bucks a share and you give them some shares of Apple and they sell it, they're going to pay the gain. They're going to pay taxes on the gain above 10 bucks a share. So they inherit your cost basis. Okay. There's not an issue. If you want to start gifting money while you're alive, you can have kids open up their own brokerage account. Usually it's easier if you're, let's say your brokerage account is at Schwab. 
And that's where you have a taxable account, meaning it's in your name or joint with your spouse or in a trust account. You can tell that child or grandchild, open up an account at Schwab. And then you can have Schwab tell them to, okay, send 100 shares of Apple from my account to their account. Uh, or you know, pick several different stocks. And then that way, it's in that kid's account. You've gifted it away. They retain your cost basis. All the future growth is out of your estate. And they can use it for whatever they want. If they're over 18 when you set up the account, they can use it for whatever they want. And you can see what they do. Do they sell it and go buy a ridiculously expensive car? Do they add to it and keep investing and reinvesting the dividends? You know, do they ask you about it? You know, how do stocks work? What does this company do? That will help you determine when you finally pass away and somebody's going to get a lump sum of money, do you want to have that go to them outright because they're responsible? Or do you want to leave that in trust where it distributes out slowly over their lifetime so they can't screw it up by spending too much, quitting work, marrying the wrong person and losing half of it, uh, gambling it away, using drugs, whatever it may be, that you can get an idea of what they're going to do. And I think that's very, very important if you have a large amount of wealth to see who's going to be responsible with it, who's not. Who's going to use it to build more wealth or, or do good work or not. And you can figure that out. Now, let's say you have grandkids. Do the grandkids, you know, they can't really open up their own brokerage account if you're under 18. You have to do a UTMA or a UGMA, Uniform Transfer to Minors account. And um, that means somebody's on the account in terms of controlling the account for them. So typically, if you're a grandparent, you can do one for the kids, a UGMA or UTMA account, or the parents can. You can still just gift the shares directly over to them. And then, you know, the parent or grandparent that's the custodian is the one in charge of logging in and making the trades and distributions and things like that. A couple other ways that people are gifting. Uh, let's say you have a ton of cash. You have a ton of cash on the sidelines. You're trying to figure out ways to help various family members or kids or grandkids. Let's say it's buy a house. Now, this is, this is you know very... There's a lot of pros and cons to this. It's very tough sometimes to loan money to family in any way, shape, or form. But rather than giving really, really large gifts to people and using up a bunch of your lifetime credit, currently $11.7 million, um, if you have a ton of cash and somebody's trying to buy a house, you could actually be the bank and then gift some payments. And there's specific ways to do this that you need to work with an estate planning attorney do the proper paperwork and recording a deed and stuff like that. But when you get when you loan money to family, you can do so at a very low rate. There's the AFR rates, and you can give a like. Let's say you wanted to do a thirty year interest only loan to a child to help them buy a house, right? And it's you and your spouse. So you know you have the ability to get $15,000 each. Well, okay, well, that's 30 grand. So theoretically, if you're using a 2% rate of interest on a 30-year interest-only loan, you could gift that kid 1.5... Or not gift, but you could loan that kid $1.5 million to buy a home. And if it's interest-only payments at 2%, 
that's $30,000 a year. And then you can basically, you know, you're going to have to claim that as there's all sorts of things that need to be done on the tax return, but you could actually gift the payments each year, if you see what I mean. So there's a lot of creative ways to gift out there. And the point of all this is, is that whenever you're trying to gift to a favorite church or charity, should you be doing appreciated stock? Or if you're over 70 and a half, should you be gifting directly out of your IRA? Those are way more tax efficient than ever giving cash. Okay. So even people that tithe every week to their church, just tell the church, Hey, I'm going to make one large gift in January, right out of my IRA or one large gift in January by sending you some stock. And, and that way you're not doing the, you know, every Sunday putting a check in the, in the bowl as it goes by. So a lot more tax efficient ways to give. And then giving money while you're alive so that you can figure out what do you really need to do in your estate plan? Because maybe you have three kids and 10 grandkids. They're not all going to be great with money. If they are, congratulations. You are not the norm. There's usually a couple of crazy ones in there so <laughs> that aren't really good with money. And you, you may need to create more restrictions after you finally pass away. Because it's, it is. You can leave money to trust in kids and you could say... Uh, you know this this person or this fiduciary is in charge of the money. You can take only a certain amount out each year until you're fifty, and then you can be in charge of it. But you become the trustee, so the account doesn't go into a commingled account with a spouse that maybe the rest of the family doesn't like. That end up you end up divorcing, and to see how people are responsible with money. So, kind of a long winded answer to Alyssa's question on Have I read the book Die Broke? And that philosophy, I haven't read it, but the idea is to enjoy your money and see if people are going to be responsible with money if you're going to leave it to them. If not, just leave it all to charity or your cat and see how people react from, you know, as a ghost. I'm going to go through a couple of other email questions that I received somewhat quickly. Y'all hear me talk about safe money in retirement, the, the, the calculation of how much safe money you need. And you always hear the term three years, but remember, it's not three years worth of expenses and safe money. It's three years worth of portfolio draws in safe money. So if a person needs 100 grand a year to pay everything, including their healthcare costs, their taxes, their insurance, hobbies, everything, and they're getting 50 between the two of them on Social Security, that means $50,000 a year is coming from the portfolio. And in my opinion, three years worth of that should be in safe, safe money, not short-term bonds, I'm talking CDs, FDIC insured, credit union insured, treasuries, things that have zero interest rate risk, zero risk at all. Um, so I had a couple of questions on this based on the podcast that aired last, that played last week. Um, it was a long email, but this essentially it was, can I use a home equity line of credit or margin account against my stocks instead of having that amount of money in cash? And that's a good question. The idea behind the safe money is so that if we go through a market correction between the amount of money that you have safe and your dividends and interest from the portfolio, if the stock market declines, and the bond market can decline at the same time, if interest rates go up really rapid with inflation, then both stocks and bonds can fall at the same time. So if you have enough cash and dividends and interest from those stocks and bonds you should have enough money to last somewhere between five and seven years where you won't have to sell any of your stocks, bonds, or mutual funds or ETFs in order to live. 
Because where corrections can hurt you is if you're forced to sell to pay expenses or if you panic out and turn you know, fake paper losses into real losses. Because the market always comes back. It just takes some time. And so we're always prepping for that eventual correction that occurs by rebalancing stocks versus bonds and cash. So this question was, is, can a home equity line of credit or a margin against the stock portfolio be used instead of safe money? And the answer is no. I, I don't like that. While, while I think it's great for you to have home equity line of credit set up that you're never going to use just in case that you know what hits the fan, it's not the go-to way to do your retirement plan. Because in t- first of all, in 2007 and 8, I saw a lot of banks... Or 2008 and 9, I saw a lot of banks cancel home equity line of credits, especially ones that had zero balance. Or obviously only the ones that had zero balance. They said, nope, we're taking these away. We're not doing these anymore. And then it was gone. So even if somebody needed it, it was no longer accessible. Anytime you take a home equity line of credit, you have to start making payments. So that just increases your cash outflow. So that's another point against just using that. And the margin thing, the whole margin idea is not good at all. The way a margin loan works against your stock portfolio is, first of all, if stuff drops too far, they can do a margin call and make you pay that off by selling stuff at the worst time possible and turning those paper losses into real losses. Now, there are other types of loans against your security. So for example, let's say you have a large taxable account, meaning it's in your name, it's not in an IRA, it's in your name or with a spouse or in a trust. And you've invested over the last several years and we've gone through this really great run-up since 2009. So you've got this large portfolio. And if you sell anything, you're going to pay a large capital gains tax, 23.8% federal and up to 13.3% state if you're at that really high California state income tax bracket or like six to nine in Oregon. And so you're like, gosh, I, I, I need liquidity. I just found this amazing deal on a rental property that I really, really want to buy. Um, or I need to put a down payment on a home and my other one is you know, pending sale and it's not going to close for several weeks, but I need this cash and I don't want to sell the stock and pay a bunch of taxes. There's collateralized loans that you can do against securities and a taxable account where you can access cash at a pretty decent rate of return and then you know you're going to be paying it back. It's not a good long-term approach. And so that's a different type of loan against securities versus margin, which can be called. But it does create a headache. There's all sorts of issues when you're trying to withdraw money. And, but we do do it all the time. I have a lot of clients that do a lot of real estate investing and they, they do that against their stock portfolio. But it's still not the way to plan for an emergency. Because as soon as the market drops, the amount that you can get on a collateralized loan drops right along with it if you haven't done one yet. And again, there's interest payments that need to be made after you take that loan. So it's just not ideal. It increases your cash flow. So while it's a good backup plan in addition to your safe money, I don't like that as a retirement plan. Uh, Same with reverse mortgages. Reverse mortgages can be expensive, but I've heard that pitched quite a bit. Um, But reverse mortgages is a good thing to use. Like if you're, you know, one of you needs care in a nursing home later in life, but you don't want to sell your home yet, you can get out of the equity of your home without having to make payments with a reverse mortgage. And they're much more regulated these days than they were... Gosh, when I got in the business 28 years ago, they were total garbage. Um, 
So there's also, I'll go quickly. Uh, another email that I got is there a fear of investing too much at Schwab or Fidelity, where you have too many assets in one brokerage firm? Not really. I mean, most of these firms have huge amount of SIPC insurance, which has to do with, you know, somebody stealing money essentially. And when you're investing in stocks, bonds, or mutual funds, insurance doesn't matter. There's still risk involved in those things. So really when you're investing at a brokerage firm, it's about theft or fraud. And that's SIPC insurance. But you know, when, when you actually do consolidate assets, a large amount, like over $6 million at a place like Schwab or other places, you can typically get better deals on things like mortgages, where you can get half to 1% off a traditional style mortgage. So there's sometimes benefits of consolidating. We'll hit that on another show. Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about the show. You can find me at chadburton.com, Facebook, LinkedIn, iTunes for the podcast and all the other platforms are at chadburton.com. Have a great day. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.